I hear of so many patients where they call the nurse and they ask the nurse if they can send their baby out to the nursery for a few hours so that they could get sleep. And the culture on the unit is pretty toxic around this. And the nurse gives them, rattles off an entire speech about how they're not going to bond with their baby and they're not going to have successful breastfeeding and blah, 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 blah. Like, thank you. A mother just gave birth. She's exhausted. Her hormones are raging wild. And all she needs to hear is that... Because she's exhausted and wants sleep for a few hours, she's going to be a terrible mother who's not going to be able to take care of her baby, who's going to have this terrible relationship with her child for the rest of her life because she wants to get two hours of sleep and send her baby out to the nursery. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Birthway Podcast. Friends, I hope that you're doing well. This week's topic is going to be quite interesting. It is about baby-friendly hospitals and what my personal opinion is. Again, this is like not any research evidence-based stuff. It's just my opinion kind of breaking down what a baby-friendly hospital is, what I think of them. Um, We started this topic talking about it like two weeks ago on Instagram, and I got some really angry messages. They didn't like my opinions, but I feel like I wasn't really able to fully express what I believed. And I think that this is just going to be a better place to put all my thoughts in. Now, before we start with that, I have so many exciting things to tell you. Firstly, um, I just want to thank you so much for the overwhelming feedback, positive feedback that I got from last week's episode with Dubby Baum, episode 29. You know, I was a little bit worried about how it would be received because I'm all about making you feel reassured, making you feel like things are not as scary as you might think that they are. And, you know, she did have she did have complications. She did have struggles through her pregnancies and births. And so I was a little bit worried about that. I don't want to scare anyone. But I think that so many people felt so validated, even if they didn't have quite the same exact thing. They just felt like it was nice to hear from someone else. It was nice to hear from someone else that was going through stuff, that went through stuff, that got through stuff that was hard and that they coped well. And I think it was just uplifting for people to hear that. So thank you so much. And I got so many beautiful messages on Instagram and through email. And so I'm going to ask all of you, please, if you can rate and review the podcast. If you're one of those people that sent me one of those messages and you happen to be listening to this and you have Apple Podcasts, can you please just rate and write that review like on on your um just literally copy and paste the message that you wrote to me and put it on the review because again, these are things that are part of the algorithm for uh podcasts and they help get my podcast up there. So like when you open up your pot you know, when you open up a podcast and someone who doesn't know about the Happy Birthway podcast, oh, poor them. But someone who doesn't know about the Happy Birthway podcast, they open up a different podcast and they've been listening to birth stuff. So, you know, the the app tracks them and then they're like oh well you know maybe you'll like this one too so 
the more people that read and review it, the more um, exposure it will get. And dun, 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 some of you might think that this is crazy, but for me, this is very meaningful. Um, and of course, probably most of you don't know this, but I do because I'm in this podcasting world. So an Apple podcast, which is supposed to be like one of the top um I don't know, apps, platforms where that streams podcasts, right? So they have this thing where in every category, every day they post the top 200 podcasts. I know so many podcasts, but in every category. Okay, so the Happy Birthday podcast happens to be in the parenting category. And guess what? We were number 184 last week, one of the days. Okay, screenshotted it. I know this is sounds ridiculous, but for me, this is huge. Like, I made it to the top 200 podcasts. Um, so I just, I think that's cool. And by the way, you know, just hint, if you want to uh, find another new podcast, then you can go into whatever category. So the Happy Birthday podcast is in the parenting category. So you can go in there and look at what the trending podcasts are. Okay, so that's Happy Birthday podcast announcements, but... Okay, this is more important, and I'm saying this here and announcing this here before I'm actually even telling anyone else on Instagram or anywhere else. Three new, cool, amazing things coming up on Yola Dead Academy. All right, so A, I'm so excited to tell you this, Yola Dead Academy has launched a website. I actually launched it like a while ago. It's live, but most people don't know to go on Yola Dead Academy, and if they did, then they would see a half-constructed website, whatever. So I uh, launched a website. It's yoledatacademy.com. So that's pretty easy. I'm going to put it in the show notes here in this episode. That's A. B, this is really exciting too. I am giving a live workshop for the first time. It's called After the Birth. And it is going to be all about how you can make those early days after birth the best days that you can and how you can actually thrive through those early days after giving birth. I think that those days are the most dreaded days because it's kind of like anticlimactic. Like when you're pregnant, you're growing a baby, it's fun. And then you're getting ready for the birth and the birth is so, you know, hopefully transformational and it's just a lot. So you want to get through it and you prepare for it. And then after you're just like, now I have to get through the next bunch of days and you're just like resign yourself to the fact that it's just going to be miserable and the baby's going to be up and you're going to be exhausted and overwhelmed and blah, blah, blah. And yes, I'm not guaranteeing you that I'm going to take all of that away, but I am giving a live workshop on Wednesday, December 29th at 8.30 p.m. And it is going to be all about just everything that you can possibly know about making those first days after birth the best that you can. And those days are going to affect the rest of your postpartum experience. Those are the most intense days. So I'm going to teach you all of the things that I've learned and I have to say, there are so many times when I walk into one of my patients' rooms when I'm working on the postpartum unit, and I tell them something, and they're literally crying tears of joy. And they say to me, why has no one told me this in two days? This happens to me all the time. So I finally took all of this information, and I packed it into a workshop that I'm going to be giving. I am not going to be giving live workshops frequently. Um, now that we have our website launched, Juliet Academy has so many exciting projects. I'm going to tell you about a second one in a minute. 
Well, we have so many exciting projects coming up, and um, there there's going to be courses coming out, but they're not going to be live. They're going to be digital, pre-recorded. You will have access to them for a while, but they're not going to be live. So here, I'm going to be there, and it is going to be about one and a half hours. And after that, we are going to have an optional Q and A. So if you sign up for this, then you are going to be able to come with all of your questions. They don't even necessarily have to be about after the birth, um, but we're going to try to concentrate more on that. And you will have the opportunity to interact with me live for me to help you out and answer any questions that you may have. Okay, so um, that is going to be, it's called After the Birth, and it's going to be on my website. I'm also going to put a link to that in the show notes if you want to go in. And there is going to be a bonus that I'm going to be giving to you, and that will segue into the next uh, announcement that I have to make, uh, and another cool thing about Yolanda Academy, which is that, God willing, in January... We are going to be launching something called Yoledet Community, finally. This is going to be a membership-based community where you are going to have access to lots of other mothers going through similar stages as you, similar conditions as you. I cannot tell you how many messages I get from mothers saying, I have hyperemesis gravidarium, which is basically um, you know, severe nausea during pregnancy. I'm the only one that I know of that has this. Nobody else understands me. Like I can barely get out of bed and everyone thinks I'm just faking it. I need to speak to other people who have either gone through this or are going through this. Or I'll get messages, hey, do you know of um, a great lactation consultant in the five towns? And I'll say I don't necessarily know, but I just I don't have the ability to post all of these things and ask people and connect to people. So like this, we are going to have a central hub for mothers to connect, you know, in different due date groups and everything like that. It's going to be like a forum. Any member of this community is going to be screened by myself to make sure that they are a good fit for the community. And I am going to be hanging around there, too, and answering questions and available, so much more available than I can be on here or on Instagram. So this is God willing going to be launching in January. I'm really excited. And um, I am going to be giving anyone who signs up for my after the birth live workshop three months of a complimentary membership to Yoleta community. Okay, so um, after the after the workshop, you're going to get a link and you're going to get three free months of membership to Yoleta community. So that is an extra bonus. It's a $75 value. Um, it's really great. So I highly recommend that you check out after the birth, the live workshop. Um, you can read more about what it's about on the website. I hope you love it. And then also um, for those of you who may be not in the place to Uh, join the workshop or, you know, you're just exploring other things, please sign up to my mailing list through, again, my website, Yolanda Academy. All the way in the bottom, you'll have the form to put in your email. I'm not going to spam you. I'm not a big email person myself. Like, I just get overwhelmed with so many emails. So I'm not going to do that. But when we do come out with new products and new offerings, I'm going to send that to you. I'm also going to send exclusive discounts just through my email subscribers, not through Instagram, not through the podcast. So um, I highly recommend that you subscribe to Yolanda Academy. And once I am ready to launch Yoledit Academy, uh, I'm sorry, Yoledit Community, I am going to send out a link to anyone on my email subscriber list. And the first 20 people that get to that link to sign up will get three free months of membership to Yoledit Community 
no strings attached. So you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to do anything. You pay $0 and you will get three free months of membership to this community and see how you like it. Okay, with all of those announcements said, let's go on to actually talk about what my opinion is on baby-friendly hospitals. So let me tell you, for those of you who don't know what a baby-friendly hospital is, it is a special designation that's given, um, and it's in the USA. So it's a baby-friendly hospital initiative, and the designated, the, the um, organization that designates is called Baby Friendly USA. And Basically, what the goal is, is that they would like to comply with the International Code, the 10 Steps to Successful Breastfeeding that's put forth through the World Health Organization. Um, and I would like to read you the 10 Steps so that you can understand like what the basis is for all of this. So these steps are divided into two. The first category is critical management procedures. Um, so the first step is comply fully with the International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk Substitutes, aka formula, and relevant World Health Assembly resolutions. Have a written infant feeding policy that is routinely communicated to staff and parents. Establish ongoing monitoring and data management systems. Okay, so all of that is step one. I don't know what part of it means too, if you don't. But basically, um, you know, we're it, it's kind of like a monitoring and being mindful of how are we marketing formula and such. And then step two is ensure that staff have sufficient knowledge, competence, and skills to support breastfeeding, which is great. Then the other steps are, you know, discussing the importance of breastfeeding with pregnant women and their families, facilitating immediate and uninterrupted skin-to-skin contact after birth, and supporting mothers in breastfeeding as soon as baby is born. Um, not providing breastfed newborns any other food or fluids, enabling mothers and their infants to remain together and practice rooming in 24 hours a day, which we'll get to because that is a very hotly debated topic, Um, supporting mothers to recognize and respond to infants' feeding cues and counseling mothers on the risk of uh, using feeding bottles, artificial nipples, and pacifiers, which, again, I think gets a lot of flack, and we'll go through the reasons why and what I believe. And um, coordinating discharge so that parents and infants have timely access to ongoing support and care. So, you know, in theory, these are great. This is so super important, especially like the staff training and the intense counseling, uh, you know, educating parents, etc. However, this is the sounds again, in theory, great. But, you know, once we start implementing things, it gets a little bit more complex, right? Because everyone is different. No one is standard. So firstly, in order to attain this designation, there's a lot of money involved. There are a lot of costs involved. And so you will probably imagine and that the hospitals that are going to do this are the hospitals that are better funded, um, aka hospitals who have patients from more affluent backgrounds, right? So now that's just one you know, thing to kind of keep at the back of your head because this costs money. Um, and it also costs money to train staff really well, like the designation requires. So now we're kind of creating this like healthcare inequality situation where um, people from more affluent backgrounds that are, you know, are using a hospital tend to have better access to support. So that's just something to keep in mind. Now, it doesn't mean that just because a hospital doesn't have baby-friendly designation, it doesn't mean that the staff is not well-trained and that they don't have good lactation support. That can definitely still be the case. Um, But... You know, you you have to keep in mind that the actual designation is likely going to be in 
more wealthy hospitals. And the piece where staff is well-trained is really important because I'm sure many of you who have had a baby um, have experienced this. I definitely have heard this experience by patients in, in the hospitals that I work at as well. Even though one of the hospitals that I work at, they have a stellar lactation program that's just amazing. But, uh, you know, patients will say that they got conflicting information from different staff members in the hospital um, and uh, regarding breastfeeding. And I think that... It's, it's really important to train everyone across the board in the latest information that's out there, right? Because information becomes outdated. The more um, research that we do, the more that we practice, the more information we get and things change. So, you know, pediatricians will say one thing and then the nurses will say another thing and the morning nurses will say one thing and the night nurses will say another thing. The lactation consultant will say another thing. The OBGYN will say another thing. So I think it's great that they require staff to be all trained across the board and well-trained um, because I see myself in some hospitals, there's a lot more breastfeeding training than in others. And, you know, the staff is just not capable of giving as much support to parents who want to breastfeed in a hospital that there isn't as much. So if a hospital has baby-friendly designation, you can know that the staff has very intensive training. It's not just that they have more lactation consultants around, which they probably do as well. So we've established that baby-friendly hospitals, really the goal of the designation is to support mothers to be able to breastfeed their babies as well as possible. So to be the most supported. And if you've listened to my podcast with Tamari Jacobs, and I think it was episode 27 and 28, you'll hear that um, I, I talk about how supported is best. It's not breast is best. It's not fat is best. It's supported is best. So support is the most important thing. And when we talk about support, we also say not judging parents. Okay, we don't want to make mothers feel like they are judged. We don't want to be judging parents. So just because they're asking for formula, um, they're deciding not to breastfeed, they're asking for a pacifier, whatever it may be, we have to still give them support. Okay. And that can come in many forms. So now here's the thing. Hospital, uh, baby-friendly designated hospitals talk about the 24-hour rooming in. And I think that there are many hospitals that have piggybacked off of that, off of that World Health Organization, that that line that talks about 24-hour rooming in, and they kind of just use that to their advantage. So they say, okay, we're closing the nursery. There's no more nursery because mothers have to room in with their babies 24 hours a day, and we'll take the baby out for one hour to do procedures, but otherwise the babies must stay with the mothers for 24 hours. And that is very problematic on many fronts. And I have to tell you something crazy. I have to tell you something crazy. I looked at the Baby Friendly USA website and I looked at the different criteria and the guidelines that they set forth in order to, um, you know, attain the designation and, and and all of that. And you know what I read? I read something crazy. All right. You want to hear? This is in like page 75. I'm going to tell you this. Okay. U.S. clarification, medically justifiable or safety-related reasons for separation. We talk about separation. We talk about a baby going to the nursery. Um, healthcare professionals must use their clinical judgment. While it is true that rooming in is the expected practice in baby-friendly designated facilities, we recognize some circumstances necessitate mother-baby separation. Thank you. Yes, they do. Many times. The decision that leads... Okay, that, that was my own statement, and now here I start reading again. The decision that leads to 
to a separation is often complex, involving observations, assessments, and an understanding of the individual mother-baby diet. Yes, individual being the key word here. Everyone has individual needs. It is imperative in these situations that care and decisions are individualized and include the mother's participation if possible. Facilities should have a dedicated area to provide care to infants, a.k.a. nursery. Okay, that was also my uh, interpretation. <laughs> and um, to infants who have a justifiable reason for separation. As a reminder, BFUSA does not require that facilities close their nursery. Okay, this is on page 74 of the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative. And um, this is a revised, you know, guidelines that I think are going to be set forth starting in 2023. So it's another two years. But again, they are clarifying this, okay? So hospitals that piggyback and talk about the 24-hour rooming in, blah, 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 blah. This does not exclude having a nursery, and we must individualize care, and that is truly my belief. We need to individualize care. I think more than anything, I think more than anything, this whole entire like bad rep that baby-friendly designated hospitals got and many hospitals that are copying them are getting is the fact that they take away nursery, but not just that they take away nursery. I think it's the lack of support. I think it's that parents feel very judged by um, nurses, I think, you know, nurses are probably the ones that mostly that interact the most with mothers. They feel very judged when they ask to be separated from their baby for something that's, uh, quote unquote, not a medical reason. And I, I think that they don't feel supported. I think that even if there was no nursery, if a baby is up and crying and screaming for three hours and is just fussy and the mother is exhausted she just had a c-section i don't know 10 hours ago after being in labor for three hours and pushing for three hours i'm sorry after being in labor for many hours and then pushing for three hours and then having a c-section she is exhausted she has no one there to help her and she wants her baby to just sleep so that she can sleep if a nurse came in there and a nurse helped her and swaddled the baby and put the baby to sleep and calmed the baby down and showed the mother while the nurse was doing this laid the baby down baby's nice and calm, told the mother, here, let me tuck you in. Let me get you sleep. Let me help you get some sleep. If a nurse did that, the mother would feel supported versus if a nurse just came into, poked her head into the room after the mother called out and said, I'm sorry, there's no nursery. You got to figure it out on your own. Bye. And walked off. Right. And I think that many patients have experienced the the second version. So they feel not supported. As soon as you say, oh, the hospital has no nursery, I think that the assumption is, is the hospital's uncaring and cold and cruel and they don't care about us. And I think that many times that is the case. I think that there's also this culture that develops in the unit where, and some units I've seen this, where nurses are talking and they're like, the parents, like, they don't care about their baby. Like, they want to get two hours of sleep. How dare they? Uh, and they're asking us to take their baby for two hours so they can get two hours of sleep. Oh, oh my gosh. Like, they don't care. So again, that is a terrible culture that is zero empathy and compassion present, and that's not going to help anyone. Now, um, I think that there's also this like feeling among staff that they're not the babysitters. You know, they think that they shouldn't have to be the ones changing the baby's diaper and watching the baby. And you know what? To some extent, that's true. I think to a greater extent, there's not enough staffing in the hospitals really to actually staff a nursery. I think there's just not enough staff. And I think that it's a worldwide problem across the, the USA and many other countries where the nursing staffing shortages are very problematic. And 
this is very true of maternity units in the hospitals as well. So the staff gets burned out. Like if I have a patient personally, if I'm given four mother baby patients, which is a high number, that means I have technically eight patients, right? And a mother had a C-section six hours ago and now she needs to get up for the first time and she's in pain and I have to take her Foley out and she needs assistance getting out of bed and it's going to be a long process. And then there's another mother next door that's a healthy mother. She gave birth and her baby, she's having difficulty breastfeeding her baby um, and she needs help and they're both my patients and there's no one else available to help. Guess what? I'm going to have to go to the patient that just had her C-section. Um, even though this mother equally as much needs the help. And if there's no other, you know, if there's no lactation consultant, whoever it may be, the reality is, is that there's not enough staffing to give support. So you can have well-trained staff, you know, in a baby-friendly designated hospital that like knows everything cold or, you know, people like me who I'm a junkie and I just study all this and I love it and I'm a geek. I can know everything cold, but if I don't have the availability to actually transmit this information, which again, guys, is why I'm doing this live workshop so that I can actually have an hour and a half to talk about it to non-exhausted parents postpartum, then I can't do my job. And I think that that is a big problem across the states. And I think that is more the problem of hospitals not having a nursery where they just they, they don't have the staffing for whatever reason it may be, maybe because they want to save money, maybe because they just really can't find staff. So, you know, that's something important to keep in mind. Now, let's talk about justifiable reasons for um you know, sending a baby to the nursery. Like, what does that mean, justifiable? Who's judging that? And I think that I think that in an ideal situation, like if we're being well ideal with the breastfeeding support, let's idealize and actually come up with some case scenarios about times when mothers need help. And it's okay for them to get that help. You know, I, I hear of so many patients where they call the nurse and they ask the nurse if they can send their baby out to the nursery for a few hours so that they could get sleep. And the culture on the unit is pretty toxic around this. And the nurse gives them, rattles off an entire speech about how they're not going to bond with their baby and they're not going to have successful breastfeeding and blah, 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 blah. Like, like, thank you. A mother just gave birth. She's exhausted. Her hormones are raging wild. And all she needs to hear is that because she's exhausted and wants sleep for a few hours, she's going to be a terrible mother who's not going to be able to take care of her baby, who's going to have this terrible relationship with her child for the rest of her life because she wants to get two hours of sleep and send her baby out to the nursery. So, you know, it, 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 this is not supportive and it's not helpful. And... If a mother calls and asks for her baby to be sent out to the nursery, I think it's really important for the staff. And I'm going to talk about the nursing staff just because, again, I think that we come, we have the most interaction with the patients, firstly. And um, secondly, you know, I'm a nurse myself. We need to find out what the reasons are that this mother is asking to send her baby to the nursery. Did she have surgery, major surgery, like a C-section? Like if somebody had their appendix taken out or their gallbladder taken out, are we then going to give them a baby an hour later and be like, here, take care of this baby, take care of the newborn, keep the newborn alive? You know, no, nobody would expect that for anyone after any other surgery except for a C-section. 
Um, and, and again, many mothers after C-section can do just great and fine and can take care of their babies and power to them. But we need to have more sensitivity. Now, you don't just have to have a C-section. You could have had a straightforward birth um, and it could have been your fifth child and you had a three-hour labor and pushed for you know 30 seconds and the baby was out and you had no lacerations. But maybe you worked a 12-hour shift as a nurse and then you went into labor and then you're exhausted. Maybe you're coming home to four other little children and you just want to rest because you know how to take care of babies because you will figure it out and it's okay for you to have the separation for a little bit. Is that justifiable? I don't know. I mean, I think it is. I think that if we had the availability in the nursery, then staff wouldn't hesitate and say, yeah, sure, no problem. But I think that if, you know, your nurse has three other couplets, and when I say couplet, diet, it's interchangeable. That means a mother-baby, um, a mother-and-baby set. You know, and and they need stuff, and the nurse can't really be out there by the nurse's station watching your baby for you. Then your nurse is going to give you that speech much faster than actually try to figure it out because it's complex, it's complicated, and so you know, I think that we need to take all of these things into consideration. Mind you, the hospitals that close their nursery, it doesn't really look nice when you have a bunch of babies or even one or two babies at the nurse's station, like at the desk. It's not a it's not a patient area. Like patients are not supposed to be there. Okay, these newborns, are fine. But, you know, I've held babies and charted because we had nowhere else to put the babies. I just, I don't think that that's professional. That's my personal opinion. There were times when I worked in a smaller hospital, and like, there were times when um, it was a labor and delivery and maternity hospital all in one. So it was one unit, not not hospital. I meant unit. It was one unit, not two separate units. And like, there were times when we had a baby or two out in the nurses station, and meanwhile, patients in labor. And then, uh, you know, there was another patient that urgently needed a bunch of nurses because maybe her baby wasn't tracing well in the monitor, and you know, having a deceleration or whatever it was, and like. We all almost ran out until we were like, oh, no, one minute. Someone has to stay and watch the babies because the babies were quietly sleeping at the nurse's station. So, like, we have to take all these things into consideration. And it's really nice. I mean, I'm happy that I found this little caveat here where it says that the baby-friendly initiative does not support closing nurseries down. I don't know. I don't know. I guess the hospitals that closed down their nurseries didn't read that. Now, I want to also say in most socialized countries like Canada, Israel, actually, no, never mind. Israel does have a nursery. They're actually really good about it. But like Canada, it's not been a thing forever. So you also have to bring all your stuff with you to Canada. Like you have to bring diapers with you to the hospital. I'm sure that they'll have some backup ones, but the expected thing is you're going to bring your diapers with you too. So, you know, things work differently over there. But in the U.S., when we have different expectations, that's what really I want to talk about because some of you Canadians might be listening to me and being like, ha, 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 none of us have a nursery. Ha, 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 you weak little Americans. Um, Okay, so now... Let's talk about there are also mothers who are very anxious, like they're afraid that their baby is not breathing and, um, you know, they're afraid that they they something bad will happen to their baby and they can't sleep with their baby near them. Is that a justifiable reason? Now, my other pet peeve, OK, if if this there's a hospital that closed their nursery, so they have no nursery um, and they have double rooms. So they have two mothers with newborn babies, with a little curtain separating them, and one baby starts crying, and the other mother is finally got her baby to sleep and is trying to sleep, like, that's that's not, that's just not. You can't do that. If you're going to talk about the 24-hour rooming-in situation, then put your money where your mouth is and actually give separate rooms to mothers. But, like, I know a lot of New York City hospitals don't have the room 
they have to have a nursery. I'm sorry, that's crazy. And if you get judgment from a nurse because you want to put your baby in the nursery, oh my gosh, no, no, that 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 doesn't work that way. And for all of you who decide for one reason or another to send your baby out and feel fine and good about it, don't listen to that crazy speech. You know, yes, there's a lot of value in staying with your baby. I'm not saying that there isn't. There's a lot of value in 24-hour rooming, and I wanted to room in with my baby, actually. My last one, I gave birth in a baby-friendly designated hospital, and I wanted to room in with her. And actually, she was spitting up like a few hours after birth, and they actually had to take her and watch her for a little bit because we were just worried about whether she was clearing her secretions well. But I'm a huge fan of rooming in um, when mothers want it and when mothers are educated about the benefits of it. But again, when we, when a mother asks us to send her baby to the nursery, we have to actually ask her why. We have to find out the reasons in a non-judgmental way. So say like if I come into a mother's room, the mother is just overwhelmed and I start talking to her and turns out that... Her baby has not been feeding well all day. No one's been able to help her. Or pre-COVID, she had 50 million visitors there. And her baby is screaming. And she wants to send her baby out to the nursery and give her baby formula because she's just overwhelmed. She's just beside herself. She's way too exhausted. If I come in there in a reassuring way and I actually sit there with her through the feed, I teach her how to latch her baby. And her baby latches beautifully for the first time since she gave birth 24 hours ago and I'm there and I'm reassuring her and I have a nice calm voice that I'm speaking to her in, then that can make all the difference. And after she feeds her baby while her baby settles down, she feels so good about herself that she was actually able to successfully breastfeed because at this point she believed that she's not able to do it. And her baby settled down and her baby didn't have formula because at the start of her giving birth, she didn't want to give her baby formula. And her baby settles down and now she can rest. She didn't need a nursery. She needed support. And I want to emphasize that this baby-friendly USA, US, whatever, BFUSA, I think, is that what they're called? Yes, BFUSA, they emphasize that we have to use empathy and compassion when we encourage parents to nurse, to breastfeed their babies. It's not going to bode well if we're judgmental. It's just not. It has to come from a supportive place. There's so many times that I'll walk into, there's so many times I get I get report from the prior nurse about a patient and like she rolls her eyes. She's like, yeah, she wanted to breastfeed, but like, of course it didn't work, you know, like, like basically implying that this patient's too weak. Um, and then turns out when I go to the patient's room and I start like saying, well, did you know about this? Did you know about that? The patient got no support. So, of course, they want formula because they're getting no support and they're getting frustrated and it's not working. No one's supporting them. So the support is I, I cannot overemphasize that that's really the importance here. So um, and and so for all of you who are going to hospital and you encounter these problems and judgmental staff, I just want you to remember it's not you. It's the judgmental staff and you are in need of some form of support. And if they cannot identify what support it is, take the information that I'm telling you here and analyze what it is that you actually need. I also want to say that in many hospitals, they track, I don't know if in many, I don't know if everywhere, I think definitely in the places that I work, we track the breastfeeding rates, the exclusive breastfeeding rates. So we track who comes into the hospital before they gave birth saying that they want to exclusively breastfeed. And then do they walk out of the hospital having exclusively breastfed or did they supplement with formula? So 
I think that sometimes we get caught up a little bit with the numbers and you'll literally have staff that is trying to keep the numbers good or lactation consultants that, you know, are ahead of the program and they're trying to keep the numbers good. So then they'll kind of get very... Um, you know, they'll go overboard, like they'll have the mother pump and, and, and feed every hour and who knows what, just to keep this mother exclusively breastfeeding. And the mother's like beyond exhausted. So I think sometimes we get too caught up in the numbers and we actually don't look at the patient's needs. We're looking at the numbers needs, the hospital's needs. Um, and I think that there's so much pressure put on us as staff to maintain those numbers and keep the parents exclusively breastfeeding when we're just the the patients are here for two or three days in the hospital. That's the only interaction we're having. Like, did they see their OBGYN or midwife during the entirety of the nine months of their prenatal care? Did anyone once say to them, "How are you getting educated about breastfeeding? What are your beliefs about breastfeeding? Would you like to breastfeed? If yes, here is a routine referral to see a lactation consultant prenatally so that you can go over things with them and so that if you need the support after you give birth, you have a go-to contact. Like, are they saying this? I think not. I, I haven't really come across anyone who said this. Like in the same way that we refer a patient to a nutritionist, um, if they have gestational diabetes, a prenatal nutritionist, why can't we refer every single patient routinely to a lactation consultant? Like why can't a lactation consultant work in the OBGYN's office or the midwife's office and hopefully – you know, maybe some of you are listening and will say, yes, we they, we had that. That would be great. Please email me and let me know. I, I would love to hear about that. And please tell me what, what OBGYN or midwife you're using. But, you know, and there are many pediatricians who have lactation consultants on staff, and that's great and that's important, but that's after the fact. You need to establish a relationship with someone beforehand. You need to learn not just the benefits of breastfeeding, but how do babies behave after they're born? Like, what's normal? Like, babies eat very frequently when they're born. It doesn't continue that way for the rest of their breastfeeding career. So parents will get overwhelmed if they don't know what the normal expectations are. But if they know what the normal expectations are, they're like, okay, they said it was going to be like this. That's okay. I can power through. It's not going to be forever. It's just for now. I will still continue to breastfeed. Again, that is why I'm giving my live workshop after the birth. But um, yeah, so we we just have the two or three days that we're there. And I have actually gotten letters from patients a year later telling me, thank you so much. I breastfed my baby for one year because of the things that you told me that no one had told me. And I was in the hospital for two days. I've had parents crying to me with their second or third baby crying and saying to me, like, why didn't our why did no one tell us this with our last child? So, again, it, I think that the education is so important, but it can't just happen in the hospital over the two or three days that the patient is there. We're also not accounting for cultural factors where there are certain cultures that practice in certain ways and where it's just not, you know, the acceptable thing to breastfeed in the culture in the beginning or or just, you know, societal societal beliefs and expectations where people are just like, yeah, I supplement with formula until my milk comes in, um, you know, because you have colostrum for the first few days. It's not your full milk and I don't want to breastfeed my baby so much and I want to get some sleep. So I supplement with formula. So we don't account for any of these things. We put a lot of pressure on staff to make sure that we keep up our numbers and we stay, you know, we stay on top of our numbers and we have good numbers. We are really, we're harming the patient because we're, we don't have the patient's best interest in mind. I just want to end off by saying my belief is is we should not be focusing on having baby-friendly hospitals. We should be focusing on having 
family-friendly hospitals. And a lot of the intent of the baby-friendly designation and this initiative is great and it's amazing. It can be so supportive. But we have to look at the entire family and we have to look at the mother's needs too. And we can't lose the forest for the trees. We have to see everyone's needs together. And we cannot make mothers feel guilty and bad for wanting to have some sleep. And hospitals need to staff their units appropriately because their staff can have all the education in the world. But if they are realistically not able, practically speaking, not able to support the patient and transmit that information, it's not going to work. So that is my opinion on baby-friendly hospitals. I hope you like it. Again, don't forget to check out youlesitacademy.com. I can't believe I'm saying it. It's so exciting. Now I have to like also switch out my whole like intro outro thing to say, you know, check out youlesitacademy.com because it's like so official. Um, Yeah. So I hope you like this and I hope that you'll check out the website and I hope that you'll sign up for the live workshop. And if you're not in, um, you know, if you're not pregnant, then let your friends know. And this is a great baby gift. Okay. Instead of buying another stretchy, chip in with your friend and get this for a friend who's pregnant who might benefit because like it can make such a big difference in her life so much more than a size zero to three months gorgeous stretchy that's going to um, be worn for a few times and then get spit up on it, stains and get thrown in the garbage. So yeah, that's just my two cents. All right, everyone. I will see you next time. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yolwedit Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. 